SNMA Presents The Lounge is proud to be sponsored by Black Men in White Coats, an organization that seeks to increase the number of Black men in the field of medicine by exposure, inspiration, and mentoring. And to all you amazing individuals listening right now, if you're on the journey to medicine or even considering it, visit blackmeninwhitecoats.org to get tips, tricks, and mentors. Now, let's start the show. What's poppin', everybody? Welcome to SNMA Presents The Lounge. Whether you're in the student lounge, doctor's lounge, or lounging around at home, get ready to join SNMA for meaningful conversations on topics affecting minorities in medicine and groups that often sit at the margins of healthcare. I'm student Dr. Aldwin, and I'm feeling like dedication. My man, money-making nip. Rest in peace. You know what I mean? His birthday was last week, so I'm dedicated to serving underserved communities, being an impactful medical student and changing people's lives. So that's that's the mon- that's the music that I'm loving, the energy I'm feeling today. How y'all feeling? Well, I'm student Dr. Isabella and I'm feeling like Savage Remix though with Beyonce because I'm all about women <laughs> empowerment and you know us taking back what we deserve, which is our independence and support from other people. What's up, everybody? This is student Dr. Erica Dingle. And this week, I'm feeling like Drake's laugh now, cry later. Because you know what? It's so much going on in life. I can't be bogged down by all this negativity. So I'm a laugh now, hey, cry later, hey. <laughs> Vocals on point. I see We you. love that. We got to get you a contract. What's Absolutely. up? <laughs> So it's everyone's favorite part of the show. It's time to run the list for our preclinical students. Running the patient list on the wards allows the team to address pressing matters of the day. In this segment of the show, we'll be discussing some recent events in medicine affecting our communities and the populations we serve. So let's get into it, y'all. Yes, sir. Let's, so let's y'all know y'all know what season it is. Tell them what season it is. Let them know. It's, it's... cuffing season. <laughs> well, not really oh, though. <laughs> cuffing season. Not... I mean, it kind of is. Cuffing season has officially started, and right now we're in the scouting portion. This season <laughs> actually oh, runs not the scouting from August. Yeah, from August first. To February 1st. And I would like to, if I may, give you guys the the rundown of the actual season. And then we could take in or pick up on a conversation regarding where everybody might be right now or how it's, how but we could actually I, manage. I have a very important question, though, is, you know, how is cuffing season going to happen in this climate right now? Is COVID, oh, it's, you know? It's happening. Tinder, Hinge. Walk Bumble, out with the bubble on top, you know what I mean? Face, Facebook <laughs> dating, it's real. I uh, let me shut up, but yeah, it, people is out here and still trying to to get their cuffing season schedule popping. Right. 
Nah, don't shut up. Facebook dating is real. Tinder, <laughs> Bumble. <laughs> Facebook dating, energy, you know what I'm saying? Start, you know, people's thumbs is getting real, you know what I'm saying? Like, messed up right now. Like, I'm getting, uh, what's Twitter call fingers. It? The, the Corvin Tennessee Vitus, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not the Corvin. Oh my God. Wait. <laughs> I think so, that's the right condition, though. I'm not yeah, sure. it might actually be. Um, but so, right now, this is the scouting portion where you are looking for a partner online. And that continues through August 31st. Um, Drafting season would be September 1st through the 30th, where you're picking your top candidates. And then Mm. tryouts, I think the tryout stage is going to be the hardest stage, is where you start to go on many dates. So now I've seen people are actually dating on like Facebook, 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 not live, but you know, where you could call somebody direct or right. uh, Zoom, or if you even have FaceTime. And some people are actually getting to know people well. I'm impressed. Yeah, that's real. And I think also a big part of it too is because we're all virtual right now already through school. So people are just kind of throwing in the dating, you know, with it too. It was like kill two birds with one stone kind of thing. But my question is, how do we as med students do this in a way that is not messy and <laughs> yeah how do we do that what is messy to be exact <laughs> no i'm joking um, <laughs> dating your no, classmates dating your classmates uh oh, well, you know okay. well i think that's really tough now like with it being virtual like people don't necessarily interact and you know um personally so it just makes it very challenging to uh, get that level of intimacy and connection with your classmates. Of course, there's going to be uh, people that are able to do that. But I think we as human beings, we're just socially adept in terms of, you know, moving forward together and in person. Now, when you change the dynamics and now I'm seeing you on the screen, I don't necessarily resonate with your character, your personality, your beauty as much as I would in person. I mean, that's me personally. But mm-hmm. even outside of that, even when I was in my first two years of med school and then even my third year, like I wasn't necessarily interacting with my classmates. I was really on my own grind. You know what I'm saying? Because I do believe that there sometimes needs to be a separation of business and a separation of personal. You know what I mean? So that was all right. my own thought. You know what I mean? Like going into class, like I'm about this money. I'm about to get this bag. I'm about to get this white coat. I'm about to get this residency. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying right. nobody. I got, I got, temp, you know what I'm saying? I got tunnel vision, you know, bitemporal hemonopia. You know what I mean? <laughs> but let me ask you, but let me ask you this, Alton, though. In your experience, when you have, you know, I guess, I don't know if you've dated classmates or just dated people in medicine, mm-hmm. um, or maybe actually, let me ask you, if you dated anyone outside of medicine, did mm-hmm. you, they seem to understand what that meant in terms of your schedule, in terms of, you know, what you had going on for yourself? I think it it really depends on the person because I've dated certainly outside of medicine and sometimes even like stressing the fact like, oh, I got an exam tomorrow. Like I can't. Oh, I got an exam in three weeks. Like I'm going to be on the low, like grinding. Sometimes people don't really understand and just be hitting you up like, yo, why you not answer my text? Why you not answer my call? Like, yo, I told you, mm-hmm. like, I got to study. <laughs> like, you want me to fail out and I got 60K for this year, even more than that, depending <laughs> on what you, year you are in medical school that I got to worry right. about if I got to come back right. and interest, all of that. So 
I think just like laying the groundwork when you're initially like talking to somebody and saying, hey, like my time is going to be really limited. And so you got to respect it or you got to walk the walk out the door and I'm not going to be ashamed of this. This is my future. This is my bag. So anything that's interrupting that is interrupting my process of life. Absolutely. And if I may, I can actually speak to dating someone while in med school that was in med school and then dating someone that was not in med school. And Mm -hmm. it was the challenge of, well, first time zones being different, the schedule of being in class and having to study right after class, you know, it really makes it hard for, especially for like a budding relationship um, to really progress and that ended quickly. Um, (laughs) But my more successful relationship um, was dating like an upper med who was actually able to kind of help me navigate the process, who understood, okay, this is what it is when it comes to exams. We were not on the same exam schedule. So we had to manage our time effectively. And it was time well spent. Like we were reviewing concepts and stuff together. So I think it's something to be said about dating someone in your profession. Right. And that's interesting that you mentioned that, Erica, because the whole concept of just like being a black woman in med school, right? Like we're, you know, such a small minority of people. So it's kind of like, did you ever feel like, oh, you couldn't date someone um, or maybe date a black guy who was in your class or above you because that's supposed to be like a friend or, you know, you already established that relationship as like kind of a friendship and you didn't want to take it like a step further. Like, what was your experience with that? Um, that's a really good question. So I, there's like a saying, you don't, you don't poop where you eat. Right. (laughs) Um, it's way, way way worse than that. But Mm -hmm. so I've always kind of considered that. Um, and I just like to be low key. Um, so mm. if we're dating, we're dating, nobody else knows that we're dating. Cause I don't like people in my business. And again, to remain focused, like it has to be, okay. If we d- make this decision as students, are we going to push each other forward? Are we movements right. by ourselves and forces when we're together? Does this work? If it doesn't, then, you know, I'm not dating nobody, black, right. white, whatever, that's not going to help push me towards my my goal of becoming a physician. Girl, and that's real because that applies even to pre-meds. And I'm talking to any pre-med right now who's listening because mm-hmm. I was there. You know, I'm just, I just, this is my first day out. I just got here or whatever, but I can Welcome. let you know that. <laughs> let them know but, your ride price too. Okay. It's going up. It's go- <laughs> that's all. It's going up. <laughs> but as a pre-med, and I can speak to this, especially as a pre-med at Howard at HBCU, where, you know, it's supposed to be a, a very wide pool, quote unquote, of eligible black people. It's still a it's still a culture of, um, I guess, immaturity in regards to being serious about dating and kind of like understanding um, like the dynamics that go with that and the responsibility that comes with that. And so I just, the main thing I just kind of noticed as a pre-med was just, you know, you're going through this process of 
first of all, you're not only just having to take all of these courses that you've probably never taken before, like mm-hmm. organic chemistry or, you know, biochemistry and all of those things. But then on top of that, you're trying to be you're trying to apply to medical school, which in itself is a job. You know, you have to dedicate time to say you're studying for the MCAT or you're putting in your primary applications, you're filling out your secondaries. And it's just a whole process. Or you're trying to figure out what you're about to do for the right. summer to make your your application mm-hmm. competitive. So it's a it's a constant process on top of just trying to get good grades. And so you can just imagine when you're dating somebody who's not to not shaming no other majors, like every major is valid. Don't no one come for me. But like just, you know, somebody who's probably not going to professional school. And so mm-hmm. at this point, they're just probably mm-hmm. just trying to look for a job after yeah. school. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not doing the same thing you're doing. So it's more so like their process is not your process. And so now when you guys get to dating, you're priorities are just not really in line and it's just a lot of time being wasted i noticed at least for me trying to date or just get to know people um throughout school and so i would like i would just like there to be more so of an awareness that everybody who wants to date someone who's probably trying to go to medical school you just have to be prepared that Mm -hmm. their time is their time is is this you know is strict is you can't be wasting people's time out here so let me i'm gonna leave it at that but yeah. Let's talk about also black men in medicine, you know, dating as a black man in medicine. You know, we rare like Mr. Clean with hair. No break like <laughs> on my career. I'm right? a you know what I mean, so real talk, like it's just interesting. Like when, when we talk about dating and being a black man, like I just feel oftentimes like we, we have such a dearth of options. Like we come in like even my class, we got like double the amount of women than men. Like I think it's like four or five men. And then we got like 12 women but it's crazy like none of us like none of the black men in our class in my class dates any of the black women or any of the black women in the school so it's just like that dynamic like I I think it's very interesting to see how many of my classmates many of my black classmates date outside of medicine Mm -hmm. meanwhile we have a lot of options within medicine but for me it's personally about the connection and seeing who the individual is so I'm I'm really apt and open to you know who you know, who's who's available. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always been like open minded dude. like whether you got a kid, whether you a mother, three, whether you a doctor, like I'm always right. out here trying to scheme because it's all about right. elevating. We got to build dynasty. Black power is so empowering and we right. need that for our community. So, you know, just what, to though? shed light on that real quick. To, I appreciate the black men in medicine for sure. And just to your point of like being choose it, choose it, choose it, choose it. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, so as we, as we, um, as we prepare um, to, I guess, bring awareness, if you will, to sickle cell, aware, uh, sickle cell disease, which is um, the month of September created by Congress for research and treatment. This month highlights and sheds light on, those with sickle cell disease. And that can be an issue when it comes to procreation, because as you know, if you are both carriers, you can produce a child with sickle Mm -hmm. cell disease. So, I mean, that's something else to consider. And I don't, I don't know that enough black people actually go through genetic testing. I don't know that they think to, and we are the ones that are plagued with this disease, unfortunately, most Mm -hmm. of the time. Right. And that's something really important to consider, especially when we talk about sickle cell uh, awareness. We also have to bear mind um, about all the discrimination and prejudice that they face on a daily basis when trying to receive treatment um, because, you know, sickle cell patients have 
pain crises, um, mm-hmm. which can be super, super severe. And um, mo- many times I have to go to the hospital coming for uh, reasons of, you know, needing opioids uh, to treat that pain. But then you have the fact that, oh, this person's black. Oh, they probably are just drugs, you know, addicts and they're just seeking to get a fix. And there's just a lot of um, like culture surrounding that. A lot of like, uh, I guess, fake news um, surrounding sickle cell Mm -hmm. patients and kind of that situation. And it's crazy because uh, we like during my first week, we actually talked about sickle cell and we had real patients come in and talk about just general uh, things and issues that they face on a daily basis. But I would just really like to know, um, have you guys experienced any uh, sickle cell patients um, during your rotations or do you guys have any experiences treating them? And like, how was that like? I will say I will say like also like talking about the mental health, like dealing with the fact that you never know when you'll have a sickle cell crisis. Like that's so like anxiety provoking and can cause depression, a whole host of psychiatric symptoms. So I think we got to also look at that as well, the physical manifestations, but also the mental manifestations. And talking to your point about uh, dealing with and managing uh, patients with sickle cell. Yes, I've had the opportunity on my rotations and um, I was on my pediatric rotation. And in that experience, like I learned how to manage sickle cell patients. I learned how to interact with them, how to make them feel comfortable, how to understand the psychiatric and as I mentioned, the physical diagnosis of the patient. And it's incredible to think like when you're dealing with sickle cell crises, we oftentimes think about, like you mentioned, the opioid you know, epidemic. We mentioned giving drugs. They may be drug mm-hmm. seeking, but we got to look past that and look beyond that because it's all about also their environment, the support that is established for them. It's all about being able to recognize the symptoms. And oftentimes that might be a, a, a very disenabling uh, uh, opportunity for many people in communities of color. They're like, you mm-hmm. know, like you, you be in a family or you be at home and people like you could deal with it. Like nothing's wrong with you. Like you, I like, nah, like I'm, I'm having an attack. Like I could literally right. die from this, you know, and right. people don't understand. They undermine that. Like, this is something that is real serious. And I advocate and I'm, uh, and everybody to the, to the peoples that's listening, please donate blood. That's one of the main ways that we could mm-hmm. deal with this crisis. And like was right. mentioned is not oftentimes discussed in the news they kind of slide it on the rug because it's dealing with people of color. Anything that's dealing with people of color, unfortunately, isn't newsworthy to people. It's newsworthy to me. You know, I love y'all, man. My people that's dealing with sickle cell. So shout out to y'all. Y'all dealing with it day in, day out. Y'all walk out. Nobody could tell me like, I'm I'm looking at this person and I could say they got sickle cell, you know what I mean? Or this person, they got this and that, you know what I mean? So y'all walk out and y'all live y'all life in in, in y'all truth and y'all reality. And I just want to say I commend y'all and y'all inspire me to be the best physician. So Hopefully one day being a neuropsychiatric doctor, I'll see you in the wards and salute you. Isabella, (laughs) you mentioned that they brought in patients that actually suffer with sickle cell to your class. And I think think that is so key in exposing uh, physicians or soon-to-be physicians, right, to to how patients look. Because right now, like... Aldwin just mentioned, you'll have a patient with sickle cell that walking around the street and they, they look normal, but to right. see them in crisis, that's, is something totally different. So I really like that aspect of your program, um, exposing right. you guys to stuff like that and teaching you about it so soon, because, you know, there, we've been hearing so much about like the opioid crisis and, and it seems to now have been getting shed more light on, if you will. Mm-hmm. Th- this ain't mm-hmm. new, right? This right. Ain't new. You, I, it's I, not new. 
I used to work in emergency medicine as a tech and I would see people that don't look like us, um, white people, if I'm frank, coming in and they were the ones that were seeking drugs. And, you know, now all of a sudden it's an opioid crisis within the black community. Like this ain't new, you guys. No, because, you know, it only becomes relevant when white people deal with them. Right. So, I mean, once again, you have something's always been there within the black community. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is such an issue because someone who's white like has to deal with it, too. And it's it's I think we have to realize that we have to be the ones to advocate for ourselves. Right. Because it's mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord knows that the, the media, the, the government, no one's advocating for us. It's, it's really up to us. But I mean, that leads into just kind of a follow up of how are we going to get people to be um, aware of just figuring out when someone's actually in pain, you know, how do we bring Mm -hmm. about that proper uh, teaching of pain perception? Do we do that? Like right off the bat first year of med school, or do we do that during residency? What do y'all think? We do that early from the get go. And I think often, and I mentioned this like an earlier podcast episode, like that it's important to highlight. They've, they've been done studies where they've actually tested medical students perception of people's pain, their patient Mm -hmm. pain. And they found oftentimes that, Black people's perceptions of pain was misaligned with other ethnic groups. So they would oftentimes right. say, hey, this black person's pain is not real. Like they have a higher pain threshold, which was not necessarily right. the case. Pain is very subjective and it's not really race based per se. Right. Exactly. To that matter is when someone's telling you they're in pain, you have to take that in some type of regard. Now, of course, you're going to look at the physical symptoms. Of course, you're going to look at other things to note all right maybe this person may be exaggerating or not but you have to really listen to them and that's why we as physicians have to advocate for that and starting early on from day one hey there's right there's this is going on you know what i'm saying there is this discrepancy within the field of medicine and so in order for us to be competent physicians we have to highlight all these differences absolutely and you but you know what's crazy like <laughs> We're we're treated, and I'm speaking for the black community. Whenever I say we're, let's be clear, right? right. We're, tra- <laughs> we're treated differently <laughs> as patients, and we're also treated differently as professionals in medicine. Period. Like, let's be real. <laughs> we're, we're we're just treated differently, <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't know when when in medical school they should teach you about how to teach how to treat um persons professionally different but it it seems like the ones that have been physicians for so long like they don't care they they treat you as if you're i don't want to say scum but i will say scum um they (laughs) they look they look at our outfits and when we're professionally dressed it's questioned because we're more shapely or right. <laughs> it's questioned because we're styling on you and it's just something that you just wouldn't understand. Like my right. the, my kente cloth or whatever I'm wearing, yeah, this might not be professional to you or my head wrap might not be professional to you, but guess what? It is professional. This is my culture. This right. is what's normal for us. So, And I want to add, Erica, mm-hmm. um, the Dove, I don't know if you, I mean, everyone knows about Dove, right? Like about... Um, their beauty products, their, you know, what we shower with, all that stuff, right? But you know what's amazing about Dove is that they had a crown act, um, which stands for creating an open and respectful workplace for natural hair. So I'm going into natural hair because I think that's a really big issue within um, professionalism for Black people, right? Um, Black women are, we have many ways we style our hair. And 
for the most part, we are kind of pressured to style our hair in a certain way that kind of fits in with um, the culture, I guess the mm-hmm. work culture. And so the Crown Act, I just kind of really want to quickly note that they surveyed about 2,000 women. This was in 2019. It was about 1,000 black women and 1,000 non-black. And mm-hmm. out of that non-black, 92% of them being white, um, all age, a big age range from 25 to 64. Um, you had mm-hmm. to be employed full-time in an office or a field sales environment, or you had to have worked in a corporate office within the last six months. So mm-hmm. the main things that came, they pulled out of this study was that Black women are 30% more likely to be made aware of formal workplace appearance policy. Hmm. 80% of Black women felt like they needed to change their hair from its natural state to fit in at work. Wow. Black women are 1.5 times more likely to be sent home from work due to their hair. Black women's hair is 3.4 times more likely to be perceived as unprofessional. And it's it was even crazy. Like the study even included like uh, images of different hairstyles. And so they had like some hairstyles that had like faux locks or like a shortcut. And I know that the ones that was rated the most unprofessional, like 34% um, when they like sent them the images um, rated the faux locks as like the most unprofessional, um, like that a black person would carry in the workplace. So I just thought that was just so crazy. And, wow. you know, ba- based on those stats, I mean, like, what do you guys think? Um, like, no, what, or at least... Or at least, what do you? What have you guys experienced in terms of just discrimination for natural hair? I'm more so mm-hmm. um, speaking really to Erica, Eric, because I know Erica, you've probably dealt with this, mm-hmm. um, with like just natural hair discrimination. What have you? What Absolutely. is your own personal take on that? Um, so, I have experienced people touching my hair, like <laughs> from patients <laughs> to to people I've worked with, um, right. I, like literally, I will never forget. I was doing the blood pressure for a patient, and she went and she didn't even say like your hair looks nice, man. Touch it. It was like she, your hair looks nice and grabbed onto a braid, and I just was like, what's happening? This is, and <laughs> wow. you know, either that or you know, you come in with a new hairstyle and it's oh, I didn't know your hair could grow that long so soon. Like you know, right. this is not my hair person. Um, like come mm. on like let's be right. real but i since i haven't worked in the hospital setting for so long um i can't really say too much but i have mm-hmm. a friend who's a nurse manager um actually a nurse director at a hospital in brooklyn and she was brought up on i was gonna say brought up on charges uh, she <laughs> was brought up to the committee because she was wearing her hair, get this, right? She had long braids. They were mm-hmm. tied back. But then mm-hmm. you would see nurses, non-persons of color working on the floors, actually interfacing with patients with their hair down. So, you know, wow. they're putting in IVs. Their hair Shit, is man. getting all on the patients. So how is my mm-hmm. pulled back braids not professional? But right. now you have patients that are exposed to other person's hair. Like I, It just doesn't make sense to me. And girls, um, not just you, even within our space, which is SNMA, right? SNMA mm-hmm. and AMA had this um, conversation, um, like, to, I think it was at AMEC. And basically, mm-hmm. I listened to it, and it was so crazy. Like, the one that really stuck out to me was this one guy. I think he is either, he's. I think he's an attending now, but he was talking about his experience as a resident. And he had locks, and... Um, he said that actually even within our own community, which is crazy because we do talk about professionalism and how white people treat us. But then sometimes too, you got some black people who out here having their own biases about, you know, hair that they perceive as unprofessional. So um, basically like 
uh, AMA and SNMA came out with that resolution called Combating Natural Hair and Cultural Headwear in Medical Professionalism. But overall, during that conversation, he he mentioned how he had like his attending pulled him aside and told him, oh, you could just get so much more far if you just cut your hair. And the guy was like, like... Bro, like literally, Yo, I mean, throw the hands, like, son. like, like, he, throw the hands. like <laughs> right? Like, you, <laughs> no, like it's crazy. I mean, mind you, he didn't like say bro to his attending, right. but he was right, like, right. but he said he said during this uh this convention uh that he was like, no, like you know, he can't cut his hair because that could hit him having locks mm-hmm. could be that bridge between him and his patient's son, right? Exactly. So like, it's like you know, it's like that's the connection that's crucial. Um, when mm-hmm. you're treating your patients that they can see you and 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 see themselves right and yeah. it's so important with that so i thought that was a really amazing thing so yeah erica thank you for that um because it's important but there's yeah, but for, also- I, I just want to mention something like for me like in terms of uh being on rotations like i think it's something so just beautiful and just enjoyable about seeing a woman in her kente outfit or she got the braids on pulling up right. on rotations or is a nurse like living your truth living your reality and that's how i feel like i don't care i'll be on rotations with my earrings on my nose ring like y'all gonna respect who i am regardless you know i'm gonna bring out my real energy and i i implore everybody like my peoples if y'all on rotations like i understand a lot of people are scared of what's like the backlash of doing that but right. if you live in in your comfort, living in your zone, then you're going to be the physician that you ever, you, you dreamed of, that you envisioned. And nobody could stop you. No one could deny you your destiny. So that's how I live. You know, I'm not going to hide in a corner and, you know, be a shell of myself when my patients have the expe- expectations of me being true to my reality. And like you mentioned, like the dude was like, the doctor was like, yo, there's a, there's a kid or a patient that might resonate with that and might open up or might explore other clinical opportunities because I was here looking like them or resonating with their character. And so I employ right. y'all, be yourself, and I urge y'all, do not become a shell of yourself. And that's just in that's in every area for black professionals, because not just in medicine, we we're sensitive to the fact that we do have listeners that are in medical school and that are pre-meds. But we have listeners in other areas of right um, Mm -hmm. of business as well and professions as well. So just in terms of professionalism and how how we're treated, like it can be brought up as a or use as a weapon to keep certain groups of people down when it comes to lawyers, when it comes cough, to media cough. professionals. You cough, know? cough, Kamala Harris. And, right. right. Yeah. And, and, and that's some, a whole other discussion, y'all. <laughs> it really is. And if some of our superiors are the ones that aren't actually being professional, like, okay, so did you email me back when when you were supposed to? Because that's not professional behavior, sir. Right. Or ma'am. Um, but, you know, it, people want to pick and choose and yeah it's it's no i mean one of those difficult conversations i'm not trying to force the conversation but y'all kamala harris i mean <laughs> <laughs> so like right. what's I'll up keep... with that like yeah. you know because we're talking about professionalism a lot of people are questioning her professionalism and just even her bid right now as vp candidate but i i know we're all biased with kamala because come on like like i know we all have our opinions about her but i I would just like to, I would like to plug in my own uh, opinion really quick, which is that she is right now. She's supposed to be representing black people as Mm -hmm. she is a black woman as well as Indian. So she's actually also representing the Southeast Asian community. 
And she's also a HBCU graduate. She graduated from my alma mater. And, you know, Erica can speak to her being Greek because she's an AKA. So- Shout out to you, my soror, <laughs> Senator <laughs> Kamala Harris. I greek thee. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to, y'all. It's all good. Love Shout it. out to the Divine Nine too, real quick. Sorry, I had to plug it because she plugged it. She plugged it, y'all. Did y'all see it? Yeah, she unapologetically she not ashamed, and I love it. Just be yourself. Right. Her real energy, like put she it out there. The HBCUs and for Divine Nine, she called us her family, and we mm. have to have Dope. her back. And I'm shutting up now. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm dead. <laughs> no, girl, go off, go off. Because you know what? I do think we need a space to be proud of just the fact that she is the VP candidate, you know, and right. like, that's a big deal. Like she has made history and listen, not everybody agrees with her stances. You can't mention Kamala Harris without mentioning her role as a prosecutor. Right. And what right. she's done and not done in that sphere or uh, mentioning her policing and her issues or her opinions on policing. I mean, we have to talk about that and whatever happens this election, if she ends up being VP, uh, being the VP, we have to hold her accountable to everything that she said in regards to what she plans to do to help these situations. Right. right. But what, I mean, what do y'all just think overall? Like, what do you guys think she can provide moving forward for us? And even we can talk about the health policy um, aspect too, because that's a big thing for right. um, us as medical students and future doctors. So there are um, regarding Senator Kamala's, Harris's um, Medicare for all plan. So it mm-hmm. kind of differs. We won't go into Bernie Sanders plan, but it kind of differs. <laughs> well, no, we just, you know, this is right. No, we're just, it differs from it. So that's why I wanted to mention it. Um, right. But it differs in three key areas. So first um, the plan includes a 10 year phase in period between the current healthcare system and Medicare for all And Mm -hmm. essentially this would phase people in over like 10 years instead of four years as previous Senator, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders had proposed. Um, The next book deals with, I believe it's private health insurance. Yeah. So including a major role for private insurers um, to offer Medicare plans and pretty much adhere to strict Medicare requirements on costs and benefits, which, I mean, so many lower, upper, uh, lower and middle class, excuse me, um, citizens would really take advantage of and need it, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just due to the piss poor healthcare system that we mm-hmm. all face. And then thirdly, um, this would not impose an additional tax on middle class families. So That's I, important. yeah, I, I am with her plans, um, there's always room for improvement, but I just, right now, however I felt prior to, and however our politics are different from each other, you know, for our listeners, our, our loungers, if you Mm -hmm. will, I just, I would, I would implore everyone to, you know, do your research and just, just, just vote, just vote. Right. That's all. Go out and vote period. And listen, I want to add this last part in, though, because this is very recent. But, you know, it's crazy how Kamala has to go through hoops and ropes and tricks to Mm -hmm. be seen as professional. But we got some white people out here just literally doing whatever in the world they want to do. And they're not being held accountable. Just Mm -hmm. recently, we had that white 
um, M4 from, or sorry to those who maybe don't know the terminology, but uh, his fourth, he's in his fourth year of medical school. He was at the University of Minnesota. And he apparently, based on what I was told, was drunk and decided on a whim to drive five miles uh, to the George Floyd Memorial and essentially to face it. He spray painted black on Mm -hmm. George Floyd's face. And mind you, he's a fourth year med school student. Like this man has gone through year one of classes, you know, and or year or two years of classes, his clinical rotations, he's met with maybe all kinds of patients and he stills racist. I'm, I'm, Y'all, yes. what, like, I, I don't he, know what to I say. I hope he enjoys his loans, right? I hope, I hope that he doesn't get a residency job. I hope that he's wa- working at, you know, like a minimum wage spot where he got to, like, you know, toil, dick. toss, and turn. Right. Because that, that <laughs> is just abhorrent. The fact that he took that initiative to do that, and I don't care. You don't got to like what engendered that idea. Even if you drunk, like that does not excuse the fact that we are part of this movement and we're being progressive. And the fact that you're going to be a future physician. And that's your feelings right. about that. I don't want you to be my doctor if you're defacing a George Floyd mural. mural. Like, right. who, who are you? You know what I mean? So I, I think it's it's deserving of him if he is. It, they did say that he is currently unenrolled. So we don't know what that necessarily means, whether or not he left. Y'all kicked him out? Or or, 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 right, like, or did he withdraw? Like, what's going on? Because we I wanted to be the, he was. Yeah, we need receipts. Kicked we out. need to know, was he kicked? He needs to be kicked out. He needs to be publicly ashamed like right. this is not he should not be able to wiggle his way out of this because lord knows lord knows if this was a black person we would never oh. even smell a hospital we wouldn't Ooh. even smell it no. it's it, it's disrespectful and you know overall this is just a big like we need to the overall arcing theme of this is just please go vote we, we still got individuals out here doing whatever in the world that they want to do and we need to have someone in the office who's trying to hold these people accountable mm-hmm. please y'all just just go out and vote yeah, That's get your absentee ballots together, students that are, you know, out of state. I don't know how many people are actually returning to their institutions. Um, but in, in the event that you can't make it to your local poll, start from now and get to a post office. Because I know here in New York, yep. and I'm not sure if it's everywhere right now, but they're putting these locks yep. on our um, mailboxes. So, like, I've seen right. it literally on my corner. There is a mailbox that's been open since I've been in existence and now I can't send mail through that mailbox. Right. And just just another another ploy, another distraction. But guess what we're going to do, guys? We're going to vote. We coming Period. out of droves. You know what I mean? Period. This is the power that our ancestors fought for. So please vote. Our ancestors died for this. So why not Literally. take this opportunity to make change in our communities? You know what I mean? Directly and indirectly. So go out there, represent, and show love. And I think that's our list this week, guys. Yeah. Anything yeah. Oh, we you love know it. what, y'all? We do. But in honor of mother, daughter, sister, father, grandfather, grandmother, COVID, <laughs> snatching homecoming season from us, all three right. of us, right? We all went to HBCUs. Um, so we're going to be bigging up and celebrating and having our own homecoming next month. And I also would like to mention that SNMA's Founders Day is on October 4th next month. So tune into yes. our show so we can have a celebration and come home via this podcast. It's a celebration. Yeah. Y'all make sure we y'all pull it. up. 
We out here. Period. Shout out to Hampton University. Shout out to Morehouse School of Medicine. Shout out to Howard University, the best and the capstone of the HBCUs. <laughs> the Lounge is also grateful to the Levi Strauss Foundation for their support of the podcast and the work SNMA is doing. We appreciate y'all. So big shout out. Now let's get back to the show. During each episode, we like to acknowledge SNMA and MAPS chapters doing great work. This month, we want to shout out the University of California, Irvine, SNMA chapter. Throughout the summer, they have been hosting virtual sessions about the medical school application process for underrepresented minority pre-medical students. They've discussed everything from admissions to secondaries and most recently preparing for a virtual interview season. Shout out to UC Irvine, SNMA for all of the work they're doing. You can find them on Instagram at UCISNMA. If you know of an SNMA or MAPS chapter doing great work, let us know. Send us an email at podcast at SNMA.org so we can acknowledge them on the show. All right, y'all. It's time for our listener letters this week. So are you guys ready? Because I'm about to read them out for you. We read All right, guys. All right. <laughs> so our first one is from Kyla Danielle. She said, just wanted to let you all know that I'm loving this podcast. It's been relatable and informative, but also has me laughing, which is a great balance for these quarantine days. Having candid conversations about everything that's happening in the world is so important, but you all have done it in a way that makes me want to continue tuning in and listening. I have definitely subscribed and I'm extremely excited for what's to come next. If possible, I'd love to hear more conversations about the integration between medicine and public health. Like you all have referenced with minorities, increased susceptibility to being affected by COVID, police brutality, et cetera. Keep up the great work. What y'all think? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Kyla. I I love that, that people are like these letters aren't fluff, right? Like you can tell that people are actually listening, listening. Um, That's how you know it's real when you say it twice. And uh, the fact that she subscribed means everything because we we are on all of the major uh, podcasting. Um, yeah, what are they called? Platforms. Platforms. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we <girl>. are <laughs> on all of the major platforms, and for uh, regards to what she's looking forward to, I think we will continue on, uh, especially because it, we're in such a sensitive time right now where. I think we all feel so attacked that we're not going to stop the conversation. Like we are the generation that was spoken of. That's going to continue to push the narrative. So Kyla, we will come through with everything that you've requested and then some. So thank you for writing in. Yeah. Kyla, we appreciate your your words and encouragement. Like we do this for y'all. You know what I mean? The energy you bring forth is, is important to us and hearing your words and hearing your thoughts inspires us to continue to uh, propel the mission of SNMA and propel the mission of working in our communities. And as you mentioned, talking about public service, we as physicians, future physicians, it is our duty and our commitment to work in underserved communities and work in the public domain and help to inspire the next generation of physicians. So we do look forward to creating more dialogue and discussion with that in the future. So love you, appreciate you, continue to listen. Make sure you share it with your peoples too, because we right. are here making it. 
Yes. Thank you, Kyla. And I want to plug in really quick. She did mention, we talked about uh, the being affected by COVID and actually both of our episodes, the first and the second. And we did, if you guys aren't aware to our listeners, we did have an interview with Dr. Maybank where we talked about uh, COVID. Um, one of uh, the podcast uh, team members did do the interview. So um, yeah, be sure to listen to that too, because we, that was a very important conversation. So once yeah, again, thank you, Kyla. Yeah, big um, up so to DeAndre, man. For doing that yes much love andre yeah. the heart of that. the show we love him <laughs> okay guys so this is our second lesson uh listen listener letter um this came from a very proud parent of one of the podcasters <laughs> and uh they said it warms my heart to see black medical students taking on this task, informing the public of what's occurring in the world of medicine as it affects our people and our culture. I truly enjoy the shows. They're quite informative and I've already learned a tremendous amount of information about the pandemic, politics, and an array of other topics. Continue the great work for all you doctors to be. So basically she was, she was basically just giving us a lot of love, you know, just telling us that what we're doing is amazing. Thank you, mama. It ain't my mama, though, but I ain't snitching whose mama it is, but I'm going to call you mama for uh, all intents and purposes. Uh, we appreciate you listening and listening in. Uh, the fact of the matter is it's beautiful that we have a wide range and diverse group of people checking on this podcast and that we're able to educate you on so many things on this platform. So we love you, appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to hearing more of your listening letters coming through and showing support. Yes. To whoever's mama this is, uh, the support (laughs) that is always shown from our parents um, is heartwarming and it's what gets us through um, and pushes us towards projects that we never even thought we could be a part of. And the fact that that the 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 adults are learning that right. the el- the el- when you have nope. an elder tell the elders you, like, you when you many, that's don't big call, don't call an elder she young <laughs> don't call it yeah no the el- elders you know that listen if anybody's a mama to me or to you or to Isabella they're yeah, an yeah. elder like yeah, yeah, you, you know they they got us in this world they pushed us through the elders right. are learning Packs. from us. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to educate and inform the masses, not just of our age group, of all age (laughs) groups. So we thank you, parents, everyone's parents, for listening in. And we love you very much. We love it, y'all. But those were all our listener letters. So once again, make sure you guys, to all of the individuals listening, send in your listener letters because we want to hear from you guys. We want to know what's happening. And yeah, we'll see you guys next episode with more listener letters. Here in the lounge. We want to make sure that everyone is prioritizing their mental health. These are stressful times, and we want to make sure that you all are taking care of yourselves. So we have simple ways to incorporate wellness into your busy schedules. Today, we'll be focusing on meditation through a body scan. You can find guided body scans on the internet that can help guide you through this practice of focusing on different sensations. Start from your toes and work your way up, or from the crown of your head working your way down. Be deliberate and intentional, bringing your attention to how the surface of the skin feels, how the joints feel, how the muscles feel. Pay attention to each and every sensation, heaviness, tingling, warmth. The feelings may be uncomfortable. Sore feet from a long day of work or achy muscles from a workout, try to dissociate good or bad from them. And remember, if your mind wanders, give yourself grace and come right back to where you left off on the body. 
Thank you, loungers, for tuning in to this session of wellness and meditation. Tune in for our next episode. We got more jam-packed for y'all. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Lounge. Let us know your thoughts about the discussion we had today by emailing us at podcast@snma.org. Be sure to follow the SNMA on social media to stay up to date on upcoming events like the September National Leadership Institute, which is being held virtually on September 18th and 19th. Established in 2003, the Leadership Institute provides an opportunity for intensive leadership development with the aim to develop the professional and organizational leadership skills of the SNMA membership. The Institute will focus on leadership in the time of crisis. You can look forward to discussions about honing leadership skills, marketing yourself professionally, how to share your story through your CV, and hearing from thought-provoking leaders who have successfully navigated through crises. All members are invited to participate in this training opportunity. SNMA is pleased to announce our first virtual residency fair on September 10th and September 12th. This is an opportunity to interact with participating residency programs who are interested in connecting with you about their opportunities. This program is designed for fourth-year medical students from groups underrepresented in medicine. Meet individuals and affiliated residency program directors, attending physicians, fellows, and residents, and learn more about the hospitals and individual residency programs offered at their hospitals. So check it out. Tune in. Make sure you elaborate and connect with all these residency directors. It's going to be a great time. And don't forget to vote, y'all. Come on. Like, with all the craziness going on, y'all have to vote. So please go out and vote, whether it's an absentee ballot or going in the polls. But once again, thank y'all so much for listening, and we will see you next episode. Bye.